2: You are tuned in to Americana Music Profiles. Thanks for joining us for the second season brought to you exclusively by Americana Rhythm Music Magazine. Man, it's
1: people like you that, that make it possible for us to get out here and enjoy this life. Thank you for getting in touch with me. I'm so glad you love what we do. Thank you for your help with everything, Greg. It's a wonderful wonderful thing you've got going
2: there. I'm your host and publisher, Greg Tutweiler. Now let's get to this week's show. My guest today is violinist Annie Savage. Annie grew up learning to play via the Suzuki method from the age of two. And by age 10, she was jamming in bluegrass circles in southeastern Iowa and Missouri. She went on to attend Interlochen Arts Academy and eventually pursued an active classical music career on the East Coast. After years of recitals and auditions and academic music study, she developed a passion for jamming and creating music in the moment by ear. Hi, Annie. Welcome to the program today.
1: Well, thank you for having me on.
2: Hey, glad we get a chance to talk. So, tell me who Annie Savage is. Give me a little bit about um, uh, how you get started in music. We were talking off air a little bit, and you said you had some other projects before you. Uh, before you. Uh, got to the place where you are today and you've launched a new record so give me some background about yourself
1: yeah well Annie Savage was like a lot of people in my generation uh a kiddo who grew up studying to method the by ear method of learning to play kind of taught me to be interested in a lot of other music that you learn by ear mm-hmm. um and, and a big part of that was bluegrass And so for me, I had the classical realm, and then I had the weekends that I spent gigging with kind of an older mentor, um, and really loved that a lot more than my very highly structured classical background. Mm -hmm. And so, like a lot of us, I graduated from music school having thought that music school was the ticket to a career (laughs) in the industry, only to find out very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that my conservatory background had prepared me for sitting in an orchestra and playing auditions, right. but not really making money yeah. as an artist. So I kind of came out with this pedigree that to me didn't get me anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so I went back into jamming and reading chords and playing bluegrass and uh, a lot of rock at that time. I played a lot of rock when I was in my 20s, of course, like a lot of us do.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, And
1: I realized that actually those skills that were kind of frowned upon by the institution were the very thing that was going to allow me to Hmm. make money Hmm. as an artist. So I used my conservatory background to facilitate, basically, um, becoming a a working folk musician. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately. And it was purely financial. (laughs) Um, So... So after years of playing in the Midwest in bands that I founded and that still exists, actually, um, the Mayflies was a pretty good hmm. run. It was like a 10-year band that my husband and I started at the time. Toured all over the Midwest, did South by Southwest, that kind of stuff. And then um, when we split up, I started a band called the Awful Purdies, and they're still together hmm. and doing some great work,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um, I was given the opportunity to come out to Colorado. Uh, It was a market that I saw as being a very open, wide-open bluegrass
0: theme, Mm -hmm. meaning
1: more culturally diverse, Mm -hmm. more open to kind of deep-level jamming, and that... (laughs) I love that you guys have on your website, you you say mountain soul, in fact, you kind of coined a genre that I consider myself to be a part of. Mm, That's cool. Um, And so moved out to Colorado to experience this very, very colorful, diverse bluegrass scene here that's pretty, you know, influenced by rock as
0: well, Mm
1: -hmm. and uh, played in a band called Jeff Scroggins in Colorado. We toured for three years. I got to see the industry kind of at its more international level. spent a few years going to IBMA, Mm -hmm. started doing conference games and realized that there are a lot of people out there who have a very similar background to mine. Mm-hmm. They love music. They wanted to pursue music. The institution didn't necessarily prepare them for making a living mm-hmm. because the, the orchestra world has changed so much over the past 10 years. Right. And now we're kind of out here using our musical skills to try to come up with some kind of career and it ends up looking like nothing that you could fit inside a tower records genre, right. <laughs> nothing that you could really fit inside, um, you know, a record label mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. and ends up being just kind of an artist life.
0: Yeah. And yeah.
1: so I feel like I'm making up my own reality every day. It's like, um, inception mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> on a good day.
2: Yeah. Well, the cool thing is, is that, that what you just described, the, 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 the fruit of that is catching on to the listener. That that is one of the Americana is one of the fastest growing genres of music right now, um, out there. People are just consuming it. The festivals and and uh, you know the the iTunes and and YouTube. It's it's all over the place.
1: Yeah, I think it's the authentic. Sure. So there's there's a lack. There's a great truth in our society that between our kind of overblown economy and bid box world that were you know I think that a lot of people are missing the authentic mm-hmm. and if I if I look at Americana as kind of what what pulls all of this music together it would just be that there's kind of a nostalgia mm-hmm. there in many of the genres that kind of fall under the Americana umbrella mm-hmm. and I'm definitely a nostalgic person at heart I don't have a fancy house I, I don't have uh, you know I don't Fixate on the modern kind of picture of modern America as much as I look back in the past and say, "Wow, there's a lot of good there too, mm-hmm. a lot of authentic authenticity." Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we get back to that?
2: Sure, yeah, yeah, and and music, especially Americana, folk roots, bluegrass, mountain soul, all of that gives gives artists a platform, and it's a peaceful platform. You can you can speak your mind, and and it doesn't have to turn. Um, doesn't have to turn people against each other. You, you as a musician, you, you write your music and and you tell a story. You speak your heart, and people line up with that. So it's really cool that way.
1: Well, I've also found in in this genre, uh, you know, kind of if if genre even exists, but in the American field, that there's a mentorship
0: mm-hmm. from
1: one person to another mm-hmm. that is required to mm-hmm. transmit music by ear
0: right.
1: um, which is something that I spend a lot of time doing I definitely teach notation because I get um, the value of <laughs> basically notation serves the interest of 60 people who are trying to all do the same thing mm-hmm. at the same time it's a great tool to have
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, it's not necessarily something that serves you once you get out of that situation but um but it can, and so my approach as a as a as an artist is like half performer, half educator. And my education um, endeavors really almost look like mentorships, and mm-hmm. that's what I grew up with too in the Midwest. I had a mm,
0: that's cool. a
1: friend who was sixty five to my twelve, mm-hmm. and he saw me play the a fiddle contest and. Was like, do you want to be in my band? Hmm. And I was like, all I ever wanted to do was be in a band. <laughs> How do I? That <laughs> yeah, that's and there awesome. There wasn't really, you know, there wasn't an institution that served the interests of kids who want to do that. You right. had the kids. I've been a college school teacher for years, off and on, where there are kids who play guitar at home for three hours every night, but they're not in band or orchestra or choir. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in terms of the greater good, and how do I think about my life politically? <laughs> it, my my um, aspiration is to help change the way that music education within our schools look,
0: mm-hmm. so that it can
1: serve cool. a more entrepreneurial interest, mm-hmm. so that they don't keep cutting these programs is mm-hmm. because they don't lead
2: anywhere. Right, right, yeah. And I, I see that movement across the country, which is really cool. People are finally starting to catch yeah. on to that, that we're losing something in the educational system that is, is of great value, even if you can't test it and measure it to, to some other standard.
1: Yeah, I agree. There's, And I think that it has to do with, um, it doesn't align with a career path right. that most teachers... Are, uh, feel very secure in sending their kids down. Mm-hmm. Whereas math and science are very clear career paths. Sure, sure. Um It seems to me that if you could re- revamp the way that the arts are taught and take advantage of the internet and all the tools that we have out there for artists to represent themselves, mm-hmm. maybe they wouldn't cut the programs. Maybe there would be lots of artists making a living.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And in, in, in that vein, in talking about instruction, you have a, a new book out, right? Uh, Fairly recently. Yeah. Tell me about that a little bit.
1: I do. Yeah. Uh, My book is called Join the Jam. It's geared for people who identify themselves as traditional string players or even more so secondary public school orchestra programs where we do have the captive audience of people who are playing the violin, viola, cello, bass, and those people... looking to round out their ability to sight-read with jamming, improvising, Mm -hmm. playing twin fiddles. Um, I have a real nostalgia-based affinity for the art of playing twin fiddle, Mm. um, as Bobby Hicks and Kenny Baker did together, and Mm -hmm. lots of Texas fiddle players have done for years. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite art forms. And it seems to me that that fits exactly within the curriculum of public school orchestra. So Mm. there's an extensive chapter on twin sibling and how to play not with 60 people in an ensemble, but how to play with one other person effectively and cool. trade off parts um, and think in terms of almost almost like being in a band
0: mm-hmm. is really
1: what I want for my students. I want them to feel like through their smaller ensemble work that they could start a band, be in a band, enjoy that process. Um, and I have done, I've come closer to that with joining the Jam, than I had previously with just the Savage Fiddler Method book, which was my first book. But really focused on fiddle tunes mm-hmm. and not improvisation as much.
2: Okay. And what is the? I in my notes here, I have um, that you have this method called the Savage Fiddler, and you just mentioned that. What what is that?
1: Yeah. Well, and I <laughs> it's, a, it's a tricky one because like I teach the warning method. Um, and that's a system for jamming that Dr. Pete Wernick, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: invented. Okay, Dr. Uh, Pete Wernick, do you know Pete Wernick? Sure. player for hot rice? Yeah, yeah. 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 So he has um, an international network of people that teach what's called the Wernick Method. Okay, right. And some people would hear that and be relatively skeptical because who's going to brand, who owns jamming?
0: Right. You know,
1: okay. who owns this <laughs> process that is generally... A mentorship relationship from one person to another. Mm-hmm. So to take that and make it kind of a um, a corporate entity is has fallen under some you know skepticism and that. Um, and so my method is the idea that you can actually use by ear learning with notation,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that nobody is losing out.
0: Mm. So
1: I use notation to communicate. A lot of the music that I have in my books,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: after years of only teaching by ear and feeling like that was the most pure method of transmission of roots music,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I found a way to combine videos, play along tracks, an extensive online piece with notation so that I feel like I'm in neither camp.
0: Yeah. I'm not
1: a notation person, I'm not a by-ear person, I'm a whatever-works kind of teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, many years ago, I was getting ready to teach a class of kids who were string players, mm-hmm. and I only had them for the day. So I was thinking, what are they going to walk away with if they can't remember this song? Mm-hmm. What do they walk with? What are they coming back to to practice? And one of my cohorts said, why don't you give them notation? I said, well, I don't teach... Roots music that way, and she said, why not? Mm. And it was like, yeah, why not? Mm, That's cool. (laughs) So I continue to notice that there are kind of two very different camps in music education. There's the by ear, purist camp, oral transmission, and then there's the sight readers, and Mm -hmm. never should the two meet. And I think in order for us to continue to kind of break down some of the educational barriers and the barriers between genre, that we just have to use whatever tools we can get at.
0: Mm-hmm. So my method
1: is a hybrid of tools that convey the basic idea that you have to be able to play backup as a string player mm-hmm. and not just solo, okay. and you have to understand chordal movement from mm-hmm. like the perspective of a guitar player. Right. If you can't think in terms of layers, then you're not going to be able to move through lead sheets and improvising hmm. and jamming and the kinds of things that lots of people who play banjo and guitar
2: have no trouble with <laughs> right right okay so if if somebody's interested in and in wanting to learn more about that part of of who you are and what you do uh, how could they how could they get in touch with you how could they join one of your classes is there a you you mentioned online is it is it exclusive that way or do you have a classroom setting where you live that you could that you teach
1: I do I have kind of a three tiered um System that I can offer. One is just going to the website, which is just www.savagefiddler.com. Mm-hmm. That gets you access to all the online lessons and the play-along track, um, as in addition to PDFs of the notation. Okay. You can literally either purchase the method, purchase the new book. You can go on and try. Um, you know, with online uh, education, I think most people notice like the amount of material that you have available can be very uh, overwhelming actually. Mm-hmm. You may pay only five dollars for a 60 minute you know instructional video but it can be really difficult to navigate mm-hmm. so I have a really easy to navigate site where okay, cool. all of the lessons are arranged progressively. People could literally go through and with a couple Skype lessons for a nice private teacher they could almost teach themselves how to improvise using the tracks and the tools that are there.
0: That's awesome.
1: Um, Another thing that I do with the band or without the band is to go in the public school, visit the classroom, and then go back and either perform a concert with the kids um, or just offer them licenses for the Savage Fiddler Method. Mm-hmm. So I do go into the public schools quite often.
0: <clears throat> okay, um, cool. And I'd
1: say that's one of my favorite things to do. And then, of course, I teach physical classes in jamming using both the Savage Fiddler Method and the Wernick Method here out of my house by so the... Mm-hmm. An outbuilding that is a studio that mm-hmm. I teach out of at my um, residence, and it's called the Farm School um, or the Folk Art Revival Music School. Okay. So we have like a little house here for group classes and private lessons, and we routinely teach, you know, we'll have a class or two going all the time on Sunday afternoons of adults and kids who want to learn how to improvise jam.
2: is that there in Colorado is that I, I'm not sure we established that early when we were talking
1: yeah yeah okay. it is I'm, yeah. I'm in Lafayette Colorado um, I have the farm school started in Iowa City um, it's been basically a little beacon for house concerts group classes private lessons mm-hmm. cool. um, for over ten years Okay. and it basically moved with me and then whenever I I <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, if I, where, wherever I am, I hire the staff and then work with the Wernick method to make sure that we're really getting our adult sure. classes kind okay. of quality control there. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, you mentioned the band a couple minutes ago. The band is called The Savage Hearts, and um, your your newest thing going on is the new CD, right, called Playing It Forward?
1: Yes. We just received word yesterday that um, – we took the number one spot for album of the month in October on the international folk chart. Cool. Um, and Congratulations. our single age, um, was the number two single of the month as well. So we're just running a great radio campaign right now. Um, we covered Jim Croce's age mm-hmm. as the featured single on the album. And I think that that was like a really accessible track for people. So sure. the band is doing great in radio. Um, behind the scenes we're booking out the spring we've got some great festivals coming up and um we're just now we're <laughs> putting the album to use in booking and publicity and all that kind of thing and it's so far so good
2: what What led you to pick that song Age the Jim Croce song
1: right <laughs> well um I would at I think I reached a point in my career that I would have I would have called a pinnacle um Years ago, when I was invited to play fiddle with the band Jeff Scroggins in Colorado,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we toured all over the world. I was able to do workshops at camps like Nimble Fingers and Steve mm-hmm. Kaufman's Acoustic Camp, a lot of places that to me were like national level destination camps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought I would never walk away with, never walk away from that project. But I found out I was pregnant with my third child. And the idea of touring through another pregnancy and another baby was just so um, daunting that I kind of found two things that I saw as pinnacle possibilities for myself head to head.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And so I came off of the road. I pulled out of that band. I think I cried every day over it Mm. for a while, and now they're doing very well, actually. Mm. They're out on the road all the time. Um, We're up for some momentum awards at the IBMA, you know, just kind of. They're hitting their stride, and I knew that that would happen. Mm -hmm. And I put in a lot of the, you know, the grunt work to help facilitate that. So the whole idea of coming right back to where I was before um, was very powerful to me. The idea that life is a spiral and not a progressive, a right. progressive line
0: yeah, yeah. was
1: very evident. To me, as the older I get, I'll say, oh, I figured this out. I mean, it's like, you might have figured it out, but it didn't figure you mm-hmm. out. <laughs> or, you know, yay, yeah, i cleared this obstacle in my life, except that it keeps coming back. And you realize that your shape in this lifetime um, is just a spiral. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you can kind of have little mysteries, in your human makeup to constantly challenge you in the same ways on the same issues over Mm -hmm. and over again.
0: Mm -hmm. And I
1: don't know if that's part of being 40 or what, but I just really had that experience where I would think I had dealt with something and it would come back.
0: Um,
1: And so certainly as a mom, too, the song so to me as well, just the life cycle, Mm -hmm. the the balance that we try and strike as artists between family and our work Mm -hmm. can be very confusing Mm -hmm. Um, and so shining a light on that and trying to be mindful of it is the best I can do Mm -hmm. I'm not perfect at it and I never will be but I try to look at it as much as I can
0: yeah yeah.
2: I love that analogy I've heard that used uh, other times and I think that's if we could get that all of us about our life it would probably feel less complicated and we would probably live with more inspiration, because we understand that when you feel like I've been here before, well, sort of, but now you have a new perspective, and it's it's time to come at it from a different angle, that's all.
1: Yeah, well, and I think our culture is very linear. Mm-hmm. The messaging that we get about growing up is very linear, like you're supposed to present evidence that you, you know, are in progress, but mm-hmm. sometimes the most valuable lessons in my life have been the most traumatic
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and so just a a little bit of buddhism <laughs> kind of in there mm-hmm. um i saw that in that song and it spoke to me deeply and um we didn't have a single for the album hmm. until the last week before we were going in the studio and that song i heard bobby hicks the you know, so i was to play mm-hmm. it with Dan Boner
0: mm-hmm. at
1: Steve Kaufman's camp.
0: Mm. And I
1: just, it was like, man, that, I know that song. I heard it, you know, on folk radio as a younger person. That is one of the greatest songs of all time. I want that on my album. <laughs> and then I, I started looking at it and it had never been covered other than the Bluegrass Album Band to much, you know, to to, to a wider audience.
0: Mm-hmm. And it had
1: never been sung by a woman. And there was this kind of Gaia Construct gal And me saying No that needs To be sung By a woman mm, That's cool um, And so we went for it
2: The uh, rest of the songs On the album Are they originals?
1: We do have A singer songwriter In our band Named Kevin Flick
0: mm-hmm.
1: Who wrote Two of the songs And they're actually Two of my favorite songs On the album
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, He grew up In Philadelphia And it's like Then Stunning with Tony Trishka New Pete Seeger, Had done um, That really wonderful East Coast folk scene, had been a part of that, grown up with people kind of who had been, who are all over the industry. He's kind of a forest Gump of the music industry. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure you run into these people. Sure, are yeah. like, so then you what? Like, then you what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was in a rock band that toured with R.E.M. while they were at their highest point, you know. Okay. And he's had a lot of crazy out there experiences, and he writes in a way that is very... Um, openly spoke and we basically come in and savage hearts it with the twin fiddles and kind of we have a pre-signature instrumentation so mm-hmm. we feel like we can kind of run certain pieces through it and we're going to sound like us no matter what you try and do with it mm-hmm. um, and that's what happened with his original and then we have some bluegrass um, and more Americana covers mm-hmm. on the album. We did um, a mashup of working on a building with mm-hmm. the song Old Time Religion. Oh, cool. Um, that ends up being pretty Afro centric, mm-hmm. um, especially for a Bill Monroe cover.
0: Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> and we brought in a few Latin pieces that, uh, you know, as a thinking person, my one change of the bluegrass industry, if I could do, if I could make a change with, like, a magic wand, it would be to make it more racially diverse, and Mm -hmm. I don't always understand that, but Mm -hmm. I've used bluegrass as a vehicle for teaching improvisation in lots of different, very culturally diverse Mm -hmm. situations, and it seems that it's not necessarily the people as much as it is, you know, the original music industry and the way that they branded bluegrass as a white person sport Mm -hmm. is very... Um, unfortunate, because it affects us still.
2: Well, especially if you know the um, so history kind of, of the banjo. Go
1: ahead.
2: Well, especially if you know the history of the banjo as predominantly an African-American instrument in the beginning.
1: Well, and I always teach Phil Monroe's classic blues notes. I mean, the notes of the scale that he did bring into the industry are classically Afrocentric. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even the father of the genre was basically transmitting Afro-influenced music as a white person. Right. And I think it was, like, you know, acceptable in the industry at the time. It's something that doesn't serve us anymore and needs to be undone. Right,
0: right.
1: <laughs> if we want the genre to be something that can come with us in the next century. Yeah. So um, I think it's kind of our duty as young bluegrass players to make it more kind of, Cultural incentive issue issues bring to the front, and I think we saw that at this year's IBMA. Actually, there oh, were sure. a lot of yeah. um, artists from diverse backgrounds, and I thought that I would never see it, and suddenly it's happening.
2: Yeah, it's been a major transformation in the last three or four years, um, which is very. I, I understand both sides of the of the road and taking their position, but it's been very refreshing to see. Um, it open up and 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 understand that if it's going to preserve as a industry, you have to have to grow with the musicians as they grow into the music.
1: Yeah, it's the only way that it can happen, and I see there are bluegrass festivals that may be able to continue for the time being. Um, but when you go to teach it in classrooms and in situations that are not. You know, kind of artificially made to be Caucasian specific,
0: mm-hmm.
1: then um, you're not dealing with. It. I mean, our culture is just not homogenous.
0: So right, right. it doesn't
1: make sense yeah. on any level. And so, so we wanted to throw this bluegrass, kind of bluegrass centric album um, into the bluegrass industry and hope that that would be okay. But we have a lot of um, other. Influences on the album that you hear right away, yeah. especially the Latin influence,
2: which to me as a Colorado person only makes sense. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so tell tell me how tell us how people can find you guys, how they can get a hold of a copy of the album, how they can get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your your camp or your your online lessons and and the the rest of your music.
1: Yeah. We would, um, I would suggest that folks find us at www.thesavagehearts.com. Um, it's got a lot of information about the band. it got some information about the outreach and the teaching that we do. You can get the album. You can sample the album. Uh, you can read more about all the individual members in the band and what we really do when we're out there on the road. Um, and then for teaching resources, if anybody out there is very interested in becoming a bona fide jammer you're a string player then the Savage Fiddler method it's called savagefiddler.com is the best way to find the purely educational pieces and the two two websites interface together too yeah
0: good
2: thanks Annie I appreciate it this has been really cool getting to know about you and and your music and I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us
1: yeah well I've read the magazine you got many years the uh I guess you call it a newspaper. That's like such a cool word, isn't
2: it? Yeah, it is. We call <laughs> um, it. Yeah, it's I think a,
1: it's a bona fide newspaper. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah we, call magazine, simple,
2: but, uh, we call it a magazine, yeah. but we call it a magazine. But I love the um, organic feel of that, and and um, so yeah, it, it's it's work. It works. <laughs> it's a
1: newspaper. It smells like a newspaper. It, it does.
2: Works. It feels like it too, especially when you it's
0: pick it up and get like ink like all over in your hands. No,
1: only non-glossy to deliver
0: right right yeah. Um,
1: yeah it's always always good to see it out at the conferences and you, I actually you got your you must have some serious legs on the ground because it's always there
2: yeah <laughs> so, I appreciate it so well thanks, it's
1: congrats on that and I, it's great to talk to you
2: Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Americana music profiles find us on iTunes at Americana Music profiles and on the internet at americanarhythm.com.